Welcome back to the first part of a very special two-part episode of the European VC, your go-to podcast for insights into European VC. We're speaking to Laura Cool, who's a former partner of Philips Ventures, where she set up their corporate venture fund, doing both direct investments and fund investments. But early this year, Lara left that life to co-found Carbon Equity, the first global alternative climate investment platform. This episode is hot off the press as Lara and her team has just closed their first financing round and are in the midst of building their first FOF feeder fund. So stay tuned and you'll hear a lot more about Carbon Equity, how Lara is changing the way a VC works and what LPs look for when evaluating VCs prior to an investment. But before we start, we want to take the time to say thank you to Mark Lawman, managing partner at Vesalius by Capital and our very first guest on EUVC for introducing us to Lara. Thank you, Mark. Lara, Carbon Equity, give us an update. What's happening and also to our listeners, what is Carbon Equity, right? Yes, absolutely. So Carbon Equity is a little bit my dream project in many ways. Exciting. So we started in, in launched in January and what we're building is the global alternative climate investment platform. It's really built on the premise of, of two things. One, that throughout my career and also the career of my co-founder, Jacqueline, we really learned that capital can be a driving force for many things in our world. And you can say it's unfortunate, but and we're talking about venture capital here, so we all know the importance of capital in driving change. So we wanted to figure out how can we direct as much capital as possible for a positive impact on the biggest challenge we think of our generation, which is climate change. So we figured... Okay, if we want to do that, and that's our mission, where should capital go to make the biggest change? Where does capital have the biggest impact on climate change? And to address climate change, I think we need two things. We need innovation. We need a lot of new, exciting technologies that build a, yeah, a more sustainable world. And we also need transformation. So we need traditional companies to change, change their behaviors, change the way they operate and become more sustainable. And where does that happen? It happens mostly in the private market. So where you see a lot of platforms coming up for investors to be able to invest in more climate public portfolios, we actually go to the private markets and we start with climate VC, so venture capital. How we're going to actually build our mission is to open up climate venture capital for smaller ticket investors. The larger institutionals are already able to find venture capital. They're already looking more towards climate and ESG and in a lot of ways. But the smaller investors cannot actually participate in this whole opportunity. They cannot invest in venture capital. The entry tickets are way too high. The illiquidity is a problem. So our mission is essentially to unlock retail capital towards true climate investing in venture capital and private equity maybe down the line. And the natural follow-up question has to be, how <laughs> the hell do you do that, Lara? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> So it's, it's pretty complex, I can tell you, because, of course, unlocking this asset class for retail investors means it's a group of investors who are typically not so familiar with venture capital. It's also, of course, a higher risk asset class, given the underlying investments uh, you do in venture capital, given the startups. So there's a lot of diversity in returns. So what we do is, one, we figure out the regulatory complexity. So we're going to get a regulatory license to be able to offer smaller ticket investments. We're going to educate our investor audience about venture capital, about the type of assets, and we're going to build a infrastructure to be able to do as much as possible self-onboarding, self-management, self-administration to automate as much of the process and reduce the cost of actually managing such a large base of participants. 
So that's uh, three goals we're actually right now uh, working on. Laura, I have to say, normally you say that raising a VC firm or a fund of funds firm is one of the worst things you can do. It's like chewing glass. <laughs> What's it called? The, the gorilla glass. <laughs> what you're doing is even worse. I have to ask you, how do you make the economics work as well? Also for the management company, because that's difficult for any fund. Yeah, absolutely. The first thing people often ask when we start talking about we're a fund on a fund is, hey, that sounds like fees on fees. <laughs> so how does that work? So in principle, our model needs to be based on volume, right? So we need to really scale to have as many smaller funds in business on our platform that economics in a very low fee model, we think it can work, but it means no performance fees, no carries, none of all of that, just a flat percentage that we take to fund our operation and keep it very simple and transparent. We have a way to keep the cost as low as possible using technology to ensure that we can actually manage with that low fee level. So is it me or did you say no carry? No carry. No carry. Can, can you? <laughs> that, that, is, that is quite different. No. <laughs> <laughs> that is quite different. Has that impacted the way LPs perceive it? in the sense of alignment of interests? How has been that process? Yeah, I think so. I mean, as I said, in the end, what we do, our work is curating the best climate funds and the best managers with the expertise to select the right companies. The most difficult part of our role is in the beginning, making that selection. But then the hard work becomes the work of the fund managers themselves, right? To actually go and find those companies and find the best companies, support those along their journey uh, while in their portfolios. And there we essentially follow and we provide content back to our participants to help them get engaged with what's happening, what kind of companies are in that portfolio. But it's less our effort. Mm -hmm. So I find it hard to really argue why a carry would make sense in our role as an intermediary, essentially. That's interesting. Normally, I would see LPs arguing with the management fee and not the carry. And I personally perceive the carry as being a very strong incentive alignment. Have you had no pushback on it? Absolutely, we had. So we have had many discussions on this topic. But we've also looked at, in the end, what our mission is to drive as much capital towards climate innovation, right? And engage as many people on that journey as possible globally. As we're talking here, our, our tagline is investing billions with millions, right? So that's where we want to go. And the simpler and transparent you make your own fee structure, the easier it will become for those investors to make the decision, listen, okay, there is a little bit additionality in the fees, but I do get access through this platform. I do get the content. I do get the relationship and the curated funds that we provide. You talked a bit about this when you talked about educating mm -hmm. retail investors towards VC as an asset class. Democratizing is great, but there's the flip side of it, right? <laughs> Which is, this is a risky asset class. Yeah. People don't know it. So I'd love for you to expand a bit more on, okay, what exactly are you thinking of doing? What are you planning to do to kind of make sure that you're opening VC to all of these retail investors, but that they actually know what they're getting into and, you know, that they're aware of the risk so that in their own kind of personal financial and wealth management, they can, okay, understand that they shouldn't allocate all their savings to this. Yeah. This is not a substitute <laughs> to my retirement plan at all. Yeah, you know, yeah, what yeah. are your thoughts there and what are your plans? Yeah. So maybe also to explain how we look at the potential investor base. So I think we're still starting at the top of the pyramid, the private investor. So we're starting at the high net worth family office level. That also has a, it's a, a regulatory constraint we have to deal with because yep. we cannot accept initially tickets below the 100,000, at least in the 
Netherlands exemption, it can be 250 in other countries. So initially we're addressing that audience and they typically have a little bit of experience with this asset class. And for those, we unlock feeders. So we do a feeder into one specific fund and we enable them with a little bit of smaller ticket than maybe the five or the 10 million you would need to access such a fund. We enable them to participate in, in climate investing. For the smaller investors, our first product we envision is actually a fund of funds. So we're looking at creating a diversified set of investments in about eight to 10 climate VCs, which actually enables you to differentiate a lot more than if you invest in a single VC. And therefore you also at least reduce the risk that they lose all of their money, right? I mean, that becomes a very low probability in such a large portfolio. So that's one thing we do. So we enable diversification. The end game is actually for the feeders to have lower entry tickets as well. So people can actually build their own fund of funds and diversify by themselves based on the information we provide on impacts, return and risk. Yeah, and then further, it's while we work with the larger, the more high net worth audience, we're working on what will be our positioning and our messaging towards this more affluent and professional retail investor class that is unaware of venture capital. They only know the cool startups, right? And the, the Beyond Meats and the, the Tesla yeah, yeah. and those types of stories. That's, that's the success stories, yeah. let's say. And there it will be a journey to take them on with information on what's happening in this asset class, but also creating a liquidity option down the line. I can't help uh, Lara to think that there are some regulatory, <laughs> some red tape that you maybe build on the assumption that it's going to loosen no. up. <laughs> uh, nah, but but I, uh, most people would say right now that would be a very difficult climate to act in. Is it because you have this view that we are seeing a trend towards allowing more people into this asset class? What are your views there? I got to agree on the difficult climate. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no pun sorry, intended. Sorry for the pun, yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, and I mean, and and those regulatory constraints exist for a reason. Eh? And I think part of our mission is also based on this premise of if you make people partly an owner of the solutions, you also create a level of engagement beyond more buying off your carbon footprint that sometimes is now the, the, the only thing people can do. I think in that same vein, it's very important that people tread carefully in this asset class. There's even... Uh, notwithstanding what the regulatory red tape is, we want to be very careful in accepting money which may be beyond people's means or too high a percentage of their their investable assets. So I think it, it, it fits the principles of our company to make sure we treat that correctly. And we actually had a discussion yesterday with a, with a family office that you could maybe partner with some objective advisors, for instance, and if we're in doubt to direct people there and say, listen, you know, have a conversation here first. Or uh, another option we thought about is having an allocation calculator when you start on the website where you're filling your total investable assets. And we provide some recommendations on what uh, the, the right allocations uh, could be. And we may be adding at some point, if we believe the additionality is high enough, other asset classes. Yeah? So there, there are other asset classes that are less risky that also have a role to play in climate change. You could think about forestry funds, other real assets, but also uh, private equity that's really working on transforming existing companies. But those are examples. Yeah. You mentioned before, Lara, that, for example, one of the vehicles you're setting up is a fund of funds vehicle. And also that your main work there is in the selection process. That also means that 
there's not much of a value add from your side to the fund managers. Why do you believe that you can get access to the best funds? Yeah, so far it's been really interesting. Of course, we are in a domain where you have quite a lot of mission-driven managers. They are in for more than purely the financial benefits of this business. And therefore, we actually see a lot of acceptance already on on more softer criteria at the start. So where fund managers say, listen, I really like actually having the opportunity to provide access to more retail investors, to get that engagement, maybe from entrepreneurs who just don't have the kind of capital yet to participate, but could bring interesting expertise, could bring deal flow. So they're mission aligned and see an interesting audience, essentially. What we're also actually seeing as a growing interest and specifically right now for the feeder vehicles, is that funds are interested to actually bring in groups of people that they cannot accommodate themselves, but they would love to actually bring in, like friends and and family, entrepreneurs from previous portfolios, where they struggle even with the onboarding, the KYC, the fund administration of a large group of smaller LPs, and we can actually facilitate that for them. When you're building all of this tech, because that's going to require a lot uh, and the machine to make that work, why do you limit yourself to to only doing it for climate? I would say that this is needed all across the ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this is an an ongoing discussion we've actually had as a company. Do you want to do the infrastructure play for any VC? Or do you become the best curated climate asset platform? I think if you look at the intrinsic motivation and reason for me, Jacqueline, but also Lisa and Tim and Jeff, the whole team, to start this company, it was really built on the climate premise. And this is the biggest challenge of our generation, but it's also actually a very exciting opportunity. You know, we have right now the chance to rebuild the world in a different way, right? In a different vision. And... Playing a role in that space is, yeah, where we get most excited about. That being said, for the current path, we need that infrastructure anyway. So who knows, at some point you can actually enable it for other VCs and maybe hopefully every venture fund right now will start to contribute to that world we're envisioning. So there isn't isn't even a delineation anymore between impact or traditional, you know, it's just all aligned so i hope we can play a role in getting to that stage <laughs> yeah, the lines between verticals are becoming blurrier right laura one thing that's kind of keeps on popping in my mind as andreas referred and, and you said in the beginning you know you're doing the selection process of funds in previous chats with other guests and, and in many other episodes we've spoken about the vc landscape what's happening there's super exciting things happening on the upstream but also downstream you know the rise of one that we particularly like to talk about because it resonates a lot with our listeners is the rise of micro VCs, solo yeah. GPs, and so on. And then you have super interesting data, for example, from, I don't have the dates in my mind right now, but data from Kaufman Fellows that says emerging managers have better returns. And one thing keeps popping to my mind. One of our guests actually argued, yeah, that's interesting, but it's a different asset class. It's much more risky. And so I'm curious to think, you know, as you're thinking about selecting VCs and democratizing and opening it and all the challenges that we just talked about, how do you look at this balance of different profiles of VCs, established, bigger, smaller, and what are your thoughts around that? And it's actually super relevant in terms of what we're trying to do, because I find a new climate VC almost every two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a lot of new funds. There's a lot of emerging managers in the climate space. So it's been a very relevant topic for us where... I think as a starting point where we really say our value proposition is access to the top tier climate funds, 
as a starting point, it would be difficult for us to start with first-time funds or with micro funds, although we actually have had some conversation with them. But over time, we hope that as long as we make very transparent what the type of fund is, that we can actually support emerging managers more. Because the additionality on the emerging manager side or the very seed stage side and the funding gap in those areas would actually be much larger the more catalyzer funds, and we'd like to be a catalyzer for those. It's difficult though. When I have conversations with those first-time funds are also struggling a little bit with kind of how do we how do we make this work, right? How do we convince that first cornerstone LP that could then drive the interests of the others that are just looking at each other? It's difficult. Eh? What, what do you base your ability on or your proof that you're going to be able to make this work? Because even though doing a VC deal in and of itself is not rocket science, Building a good portfolio and, and making the good decisions, it, yeah, it's quite difficult. And we actually did the same thing eh? as you, you just alluded to the micro fund. We were a first time fund also in, in our fund of fund proposition. So initially our idea was we raise a, a 50 million fund of fund invested across eight to 10 climate VCs, and that will be our first product. But then realized, hey, wait a minute, we don't really have much of a track record. I mean, I did fund of fund investing at Philips, so I've done it for quite a few years, but it was more from a strategic perspective, which is a little bit different. And so we decided to do micro funds, which is tiny feeders. And so we decided to also start small and launch feeders first, smaller buckets of capital, where you can already create some track record and prove that you're able to access those climate funds that we've selected, prove that you can build those relationships and prove that the machine works, even though we're just starting. Yeah, you've referred to these feeder funds for a couple of times. (laughs) Jump into the structure there. A lot of people are probably thinking, okay, are these SPVs or what are they? Yeah, they're uh, essentially special purpose vehicles. So they're a simple structure that we use, which is a Dutch structure called Fund for Joint Accounts. And essentially, it's a contract between us, the investor participants, and the underlying fund manager, where we represent the pooled investors as an LP in that fund. So we arrange for the communications with the underlying fund, as well as the participants that are our investors, essentially. And can you also explain to our listeners the concept behind the feeder fund versus a fund? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Essentially, a feeder fund is a funnel into a larger master fund that groups a group of participants into one. So it's more simple for the fund manager. So they don't have to deal with all the smaller investors uh, underneath, but they just deal with one representative into the fund, essentially. So it's a pool of capital. I have a scripted question that <laughs> I kind of know the answer, but I want to ask it, <laughs> which is... which is. Uh, when do you expect to close <laughs> and how can LPs or, or potential LPs get in contact with you and when should they? <laughs> yeah, well, we're actually putting our first feeder fund on the market as we speak. Uh, however, right now we're only allowed to market it in the Netherlands. So uh, the other participants okay. and listeners will have to be a little bit more patient until we're able to open it up internationally as well. But opening up our first fund, it's a small, relatively small allocation because already Part of that feeder is filled by the fund manager and their friends and family. So it's a very exciting way for us to get in business. And we're raising that. We have about six weeks to two months to raise it. Then we'll close in the end of August, participating in the final close of this underlying fund, which is actually a very exciting one, uh, 2150. I don't know if you know them, but they're focused on urban sustainability. They're in Denmark. Yeah. yeah. Very exciting fund. We've actually known them for quite some time. I know Christian Hernandez, one of the fund managers, or already from 
my previous life at Philips. So it's a, it's a very good and exciting opportunity for us to kick off. It's a good fund. Also as a size that makes it not the most risky asset to jump into. So that's good as well. Thank you for listening to the first part of an interview with Lara Cool from Carbon Equity. In the next part, we'll be diving deep on how Lara evaluates VC managers, discussing topics like what emerging managers should keep in mind when building their firm, how to think about governance, team alignment, stock options, and carry distributions. And of course, the due diligence process of LPs and Lara's views on direct investments into the management company. If you're not convinced yet, here's a small teaser from the next episode. Our mission is essentially to unlock retail capital towards true climate investing in venture capital. We do an initial quick scan that talks about the investment strategy, the track records, the team, the team alignment, team incentives, experience, and those types of things. Are there elements in here that require further assessment for us to mitigate or accept? We cannot mitigate, but we can accept the risk of that fund.